Amen. And straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open, and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Our translation of opened doesn't quite accomplish the full sense of the original term. What happens here is much more of a throwing open, a tearing open, a breaking open. As Jesus rises out of the water, this is what happens to the skies. As the skies are rent, the voice of the Father declares that Jesus is his very Son, the one through whom he will be pleased to accomplish his work. The sign of this good pleasure and love is the Spirit descending in the form of a dove. As readers, we should remember that we've seen this image before. In the beginning, the Spirit flew out to hover over the face of the waters of the creation of the world. Later, a dove flew out over the flood waters to bring an olive branch to Noah on the ark, signaling the end of the judgment and destruction that had purged the world of its evil. So much, therefore, is enclosed within the single moment of today's gospel. Jesus, at his baptism, is revealed to be the Son of God by the declaration of the Father and the confirmation of the Holy Spirit resting upon him. The full trinity, the triune God, is revealed, heralded by signs of creation, redemption, and peace. For St. Mark's audience, such a story would have been astounding. The Greeks would have been familiar with stories of the sky being torn open and the gods descending upon the earth as such actions conventional in Greek literature. But the Greek stories do not end nearly so well. For them, the gods are temperamental. They are easily offended and swift to take vengeance. When the divinities descend, they do so to extort to manipulate, to exploit, ravage, and destroy their own ends. St. Mark's literary parallel, then, serves to set apart the work of the Trinity from the Greek and Roman deities. When our God descends, he does so with a sign of peace and of reconciliation and redemption. His great power cleanses sin and restores our relationship with him. To St. Mark's readers and hearers, this theological statement would have been shocking. And yet, for those to whom the idea of God is terrifying, this is the epiphany and the good news of the gospel, that God is a good God who loves mankind, and that this God has come down to among us as the man of Jesus, and he is revealed as such in his baptism. The fact that Christ's baptism authorizes and empowers our own baptisms. Jesus did not submit to the ritual because he needs to become cleansed of sins, or because he needs proof that he is God's child. He is the everlasting Son of Father and bears no sought of sin. So when Jesus undergoes baptism, he does so in order to sanctify the whole action itself. Our baptism proceed from the power and meaning that our Lord gave to them in his baptism. 
In baptism, we too experience the cleansing of sin and the opening of the way between us and God. God declares to us that we are a newly created thing, in fact, his own children. He then confirms us with the minute through the gift of the Holy, the Holy Spirit for the work of our ministry as Christians. The Son, in his baptism, reveals the way through which we become the children of the Father and enter into the life that he has known in all times and all places, one of perfect union, peace, and love with his heavenly Father. In the epistle, St. Paul assumes this relational dynamic when he comments on the moral expectations to which we are bound as Christians. Morality and Christian practice is not a free, floating set of principles, but rather is given context by our status as children, the children of the Father, and as brothers and sisters with one another. So when St. Paul exhorts us to love one another without hypocrisy, when he tells us to strive for what is good or what is evil, what we see here is less a list of commandments and instead is a list of practical values that govern family life. The force of such a list, for its readers, origin arises out of the context of Roman culture itself, the audience of Paul in this letter. The convention of Roman family values was that the will of the father of the family held utter utmost power in granting family status to anybody. The title of child was a gift that was bestowed, not necessarily presumed. And the natural expectation of this gift was that that child would live his or her life according to that family's virtues as a way of demonstrating to what family he or she belonged. This was both a private and a public expectation. It was common in that that you could uh, tell or you could have an idea about whose family someone belonged to by the virtues they demonstrated in their daily life. Members of the family before this story represented as ambassadors of the so when St. Paul tells his readers, tells us to live according to the virtues of love, encouragement, selflessness, and compassion, he is calling us to a life lived according to the principles of our Father, of whom we are children, and to which we belong. The implications that the Romans would gain from this are very similar to the ones that we gain from this. Through baptism, we are the very children of God, and we are called to live as part of the family and to do as our Father does. Yet the way we come to know this family life and experience looks differently for each of us depending on where we come from. Natural family life and life of the church family in our past has a way of shaping one another. For some of us, family means home, security, love, support, and intimacy. For some of us, family means loss, trauma, abuse, anxiety, condemnation, or disappointment. More common, though, is a mixture of those things in fathers, mothers, siblings, and children whom we love and who love us, but with whom we are at times perhaps 
Despite all this, the church is God's gift for the healing of our relational wounds. But as we grow into that fact, as we grow into our identity, as we become more perfect in the children of God, we have to confront the fact that there are times we fail to live as part of the family. Sometimes our past has radically distorted our ideas of family. Sometimes we hurt one another very grievously. At the same time, our fellow Christians sitting around us today are our siblings in God, whom we are called to love as we love ourselves. In this, I'm reminded of the words of the Russian novelist Yodor Dostoevsky when he says, humanity as a whole, or people as an idea, are quite easy to love, but particular people are rather difficult. For us, it can be easy to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, or to pray for the whole state of Christ's church, while refusing to love that difficult person who offended or disappointed us, the one in church today, whose name is now in <laughs> At the same time, there are those who have truly hurt us deeply, and it will take years to forgive those people and learn how to love them well. We can't deny either reality. Yet the call to exercise a forgiving love is unnecessary, but with those who have hurt us or who have disappointed us. And so all of us are obliged to the struggle of loving despite difficulty. Utter failure in reconciliation and forgiveness, though, is only known when we refuse outright the attempt to forgive. We cannot look at one another and pray for each other despite the many difficulties, then we will ultimately fail to be the family of God, ultimately fail to be our Father's children. But God has not abandoned us to an impossible task. Our Father has not left us without example or help. This morning, to us, the epiphany means that God is forgiven so that we might be forgiving too. In breaking apart the sky and coming down, he gives us the ability to heal our broken relationships. He empowers us with his spirit to do the same with each other if we will humble ourselves and be his children and obey. As we look to those on your right and left, remembering also that hard to love person this morning. As you approach the altar, lift these people to God. In doing so, we make good on our baptisms. We join in with the family in the afterlife. And we show ourselves to be whose children we are. The children of a loving Father, among whom he is pleased to live, and through whom he is pleased to work. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, It is more blessed.